asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're discussing teaching our kids about money. Joel, so you know that I love Zenny Optical. And it's not because they sponsor us, they do not give us any money or anything, but they save me a ton of money, dog. And they save everybody a ton of money who shops there. Yeah. And what I love recently, man, is that they specifically sent me an email that was uh, targeting the fact that you could specifically spend money from your FSA, your flexible spending account, or your HSA, your health savings account. You can use that money to buy Zenny eyeglasses. Any eyeglasses, yeah, really, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously any eyeglasses. <laughs> but the fact that Zenny, I mean, it was just frugal eyeglasses coupled with tax advantage uh, healthcare savings accounts. I mean, just all that sort of marrying together made me extremely happy. I love Zenny, dude. I've been rocking them for like six years now. Yeah. So I personally ha- don't wear eyeglasses, but if I did... Oh, your eyes are perfect. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, I've got perfect vision. <laughs> I could probably fly a fighter jet or something like that. Not going to do it, but... Uh, prefer to podcast. You know? Actually, I think you're too tall. I think you have, you have to be like a certain height. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. You'd yeah. Pa- and you're so tall, you'd pass out because the G's, all the blood would rush out of your head and you'd be those guys passing out, just crashing into the ocean. Way to crush my dreams. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, but, but Might as well get eyeglasses now too then. I've been pretending this whole time that I had good vision. <laughs> Thought you had a chance. Yeah. So, But Zenny is awesome and they have the cheapest eyeglasses around. And there was an article recently in the LA Times by consumer writer David Lazarus. And man, he's just like a great writer if you want to follow consumer issues. And so he recently wrote about why eyeglasses cost so much in the United States. And it's because there's this major company that owns 
pretty much all of the major frame manufacturers, lens manufacturers, and they also own actually a lot of the eyeglass shops as well, like yeah, Pearl Vision. Pearl Vision. Yeah. And so there looks, it's two companies combined, but initially it was called just Luxottica, and then they acquired another lens company. And so ultimately, there's this... Sounds like a monopoly to me. Yeah, there's this monopoly cartel when it comes to eyeglasses in our country, and the only way around it is to buy online with companies like Zenni Optical or Warby Parker, and Warby Parker is a little more expensive than Zenni, and Zenni actually has... I think from what I've seen, pretty much almost as cool frames as Warby Parker uh, for a fraction of the cost even of Warby. But uh, Warby's awesome too. But either way you go, that's how you're going to save money on eyeglasses. There was a recent discussion in our Facebook group that you can find if you search how to money, just asking about cheap eyeglasses. And Zenny, man, just keeps getting brought up by everybody because they are one of the best ways to save. And if you go the traditional route to get eyeglasses, man, you're going to spend way too much. But I guess at least the bright side is you're taking it out of your health savings account, right? That's right. And a quick tip for folks as well. A lot of times people complain that the glasses don't fit them super well when they come from Zenny, right? Because they're just getting shipped from overseas. And there's not a technician, someone there in the store that's fitting them to your face. And here's the deal. When the glasses are that inexpensive, and we're talking under 20 bucks, sometimes 10 or even $6, do not be afraid to hit those glasses with a hairdryer. Almost all the glasses I've received from Zenny, I've modified slightly, and you just heat them up with a hairdryer. And very slowly, obviously, like you don't want to just like blast it and have your plastic frame start like blistering, right? <laughs> it's a bad look. But you get them soft enough slowly over time and you can kind of bend the bridge in a little bit so it fits your face a little bit more. If, if maybe the arms aren't curling around your ears enough like you want them to, you, you heat that up. And so you soften the plastic a little bit and that allows you to bend it. Obviously, there's a little bit of metal in there as well to add, to add a little bit of sturdiness. But you would never think to do that with $200, $300 Ray-Bans that you got from Sunglass Hut or, or Pearl Vision or wherever. But when you get a cheaper pair like that, I didn't hesitate at all because I thought, what am I going to lose? Like six bucks? That's exactly what I'm going to lose. Six, $6. That's a way to get a much better fit. And honestly, that's pretty much all they do in store as well. They just have these heated beads sort of thing that they sort of dip the glasses in and it gently warms it and then they just bend it. So yeah, if your glasses from Zenny aren't fitting your face really well, Hit it with a hairdryer and just slowly start bending it a little bit. And before you know it, you're going to have a pair of glasses that fit you very, very well. That's so awesome, dude. Yeah. I, lo I love that. DIY your eyeglasses, buy them super cheap, and then bend them to fit your face yourself. All right? Like, I think people, <laughs> especially when it's so cheap, really, what do you have to lose? Yeah, exactly. And I would never, again, I would never have thought to have done that on an expensive pair. But with Zenny, why not? And so most people, when they buy from Zenny, they try to buy like three or four pairs at once. It just kind of helps. Just uh, You'll find maybe some fit your face better than others. And in case you lose one, you got a backup pair. It's nice. And when you're spending 40 or 50 bucks overall for three pairs, like why not do it? Yeah, man, that's right. All right, Matt, since we're talking about teaching kids about money today, I wanted to mention quickly that there's some good news on the personal finance front. Personal finance is being taught in schools. It turns out that New Jersey just enacted a law that's going to require personal finance classes in, in schools in the state. And the state of South Carolina at the same time has a, a proposed piece of legislation that kids would have to take personal finance in high school and then pass a test before graduation, knowing more about debt and budgeting and just all these things that right, you and I, we wish we learned in school, but we didn't. And so we kind of had to be self-taught when it comes to personal finances in so many ways. And I've heard that same gripe from some of our listeners even. And Brendan in our Facebook group recently said, I love this podcast and this Facebook community. Man, I wish they taught us this stuff in public school. And that's the sentiment that a lot of people have. I'm trying to learn on the fly and I'm finally getting into personal finances, but nobody taught it to me in school. And that's totally true. 
in fact, there's a financial report card that gets provided that gets provided by a center for for financial literacy, and only five states in our nation get an A grade for their financial education efforts. And so that's a that's a bummer, right? Yeah, that's pretty rough, dude. <laughs> we learn about trapezoids and all these other things that we never come across again after we graduate. But the fact that personal finance is something that we use literally pretty much every day of our lives. We're not learning about it in, in schools. I think it's a huge disservice to our students. And so like, we would love to change that. So you know what? You and I, we need to try to make something happen in our state. You know, I was actually thinking when you mentioned South Carolina, I bet Chad's behind that junk. Oh, Chad from our Monday episode. Yeah. yeah. Chad Carson kind of changing the world up there in South Carolina, at least in Clemson. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree with you more. Personal finance needs to be taught. All right, Matt, let's move on to the beer that we're drinking today on the show. It's another beer from listener Alex, who sent us something uh, for Monday's episode as well. This is a beer called Peanut Brother by Great Notion Brewing, and it's a peanut butter chocolate stout. I'll let you go first this week. What's your one word to describe this beer, buddy? Ooh, man, this is good beer. It's been a minute since we've had a peanut butter stout. My one word is going to be refreshing. Yeah, I bet you weren't expecting that word. Yeah, man, this beer is <laughs> powerful and tasty, and so my word is going to be Reese's. That's obvious. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to go with the obvious thing right in front of you. All right, Matt, on to the topic at hand, teaching our kids about money. You know, since there isn't a formal system in place when it comes to teaching our kids about money, uh, the job falls squarely on us as parents. And so hopefully this is something that we realize and that we can intentionally teach lessons as we shape our kids' perceptions towards money. But at the very least, we have to keep in mind that our own attitudes get absorbed as our kids are adopting our views towards money. Yeah, Matt, I think that there that we place a lot more pressure on teachers nowadays, and we expect our teachers to teach our kids everything they need to know in regards to life and how to move through it. Mm. And as parents, sometimes we take a back seat, thinking that our teachers are going to do the heavy lifting in regards to some of that teaching. And teachers do a great deal of teaching for our kids. They I'm so amazed already at, at how much my kids learn are learning in school, but also it's our job as parents to reinforce those things and then also teach them things that they're not going to learn in school. In personal finance, you know what? Bummer. I wish it was a part of high school courses, but it's something that we have to teach them. Even if it was in high school courses, it's something that we need to start teaching them way before they get to that point as well. And so we're going to talk about in this episode how to teach to different ages and stages, some of our philosophies on how we're teaching our kids and how we're planning in the future to teach our kids about money, as well as some key principles and tactics that you should consider taking in your own family life as you seek to raise children that know how to go out in the world and handle their personal finances well. And so we'll dive into all that stuff right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? 
Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, Joel, we're going to talk now about some principles that we feel are incredibly important for us to teach our kids. And the first one that we're going to cover now is the value of money. You know, honestly, this is the biggest lesson that I want to teach my kids, right? Is for them to understand that they receive money because they've done work. At this point in the raising of our kids, I don't plan to give our kids allowances, right? There's something about that, that there's a stipend that you just get money because you're alive and live under my roof. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. I want to approach it more from an angle like like they're on commission. There are jobs that need to be done and there are things that we're going to have talked about and if they do have that desire to earn money, that this is how you do it. Do you feel like that's a little too hardcore? No, I don't think so okay. at all. Honestly, I don't plan on giving my kids an allowance. I think there are decent reasons for giving your kids an allowance. I'm not completely opposed to the idea. But for me, I mean, I think, yeah, when you get out in the real world, 
the way you earn money is typically <laughs> pretty much solely through through work, right? And so helping your kids establish that correlation that you get money by working, yeah, I think is a, the right way to go. And like you said, giving them a stipend for living under your roof. I mean, until we have something like potentially universal basic income in our country. If we have that, then maybe I will revert more to an allowance right. sort of model, right? <laughs> right. But, but that doesn't exist. And this, so it doesn't model our current systems that we have, our current economy. Yeah. And so for me, I want to give an example. My parents didn't pay for my first car, didn't even really put a dollar towards it. I knew from the get-go that I had to work and save every dollar that I made to, to buy my first car. And so I distinctly remember how much money I spent on my first car, $1,800. And I remember the care that I took of that car because I bought it with all my own dollars. I remember how many cars I looked at in order to buy that first car. And it was such a big moment for me. And it was such a good money lesson that I had to make the money myself. And then I had to go make that purchase. And my dad was there every step of the way. He helped me to make the purchase. But the money was all mine. It was one of my first big time grown up decisions. And I feel like you actually kind of rob your kids uh, of something like that, of kind of a coming of age moment. And we we lament in our culture how our kids are growing up at later and later stages, but yet we're, we refuse to give them the ability to make decisions on their own and to kind of hand the reins over to them. And a lot of it has to do honestly with taking control of their own money at an earlier and earlier age. Yeah, at that point, you were able to truly learn the value of money because you had worked for it. And that's my big rub with the allowance is that I think a lot of times the argument for an allowance is that, well, we want to teach our kids how to handle money. We want to teach them how to spend it and how to save it. But I think how to earn it <laughs> is one of the most important lessons that you can learn about money, uh, at least initially. Towards the end, we're going to get to a, a principle that might be a little more advanced. But initially you get money because you work. And, and the other thing is too, is that it's important to note that as parents, we can still love on our kids with gifts. My girls aren't only ever going to receive money from us, from, from my wife and I, just because they've done a chore or a job or they've accomplished something. There's going to be times when we give them things because we love them. I think there's a fine line between, certainly there's hardcore lessons that I want to teach for sure. But at the same time, there's going to be moments where we kind of break the rules because you know what? I'm your father and I love you and I want you to have this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, completely. And yeah, there's times where having those solid rules and then that occasional time where you're able to do something uh, a little bit out of the ordinary and give your kids something super awesome that they've been asking for or wanting. I think that's super important at the same time, Matt. And so right now, my kids are super young. They're five and three. And so what I'm trying to instill in them is that they can make a, a specific small dollar amount for work that they do around the house. Typically, that's cleaning up the room or, or really just picking up their stuff because it gets all over the place, <laughs> right? And then what we do is we're able to go out to the dollar store or something like that, and they're able to spend their dollar or if they've saved it up, they, maybe they have three or four dollars, which is really cool because we're, we're kind of starting really small to teach that idea of you want this thing, but you don't quite have enough money for it yet. So saving for a little bit longer, you're going to be able to afford that maybe in a couple of weeks. But instilling that idea that they get money when they work has been so awesome. My oldest daughter like often volunteers now to do work and she's like, can I get paid for it? And so we have to have that discussion and we'll talk about that uh, in just a little bit. Do we get paid for every chore or are there certain things that are that we do just being uh, just because we're part of the family? So it sounds like someone's kind of taken to it then, huh? Like she's got the idea of, of working and sort of earning the money. 
She does. My three-year-old, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of on the sidelines and not yeah. not working for the money oftentimes. And then she just doesn't get paid. And she doesn't really mind it at that point in time, but she actually really doesn't like it when we're at the dollar store and she doesn't have enough money to wake up call Polly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think she'll get into it. She's three. I'm, I'm trying to fight, find ways to keep a balance where they don't feel terrible about the fact that they didn't do that work. But, you know, coaching them along the way so the next time there is work to be done, they're both ready to get up and, and start cleaning up because I need their help out around the house now at this point, right? Yeah, man. They're getting to that age where, where they can certainly help out around the house. Our daughter is also five, but we just started way too young. And I think we kind of we kind of burned her a little bit. Like we started the chores and the tasks that she could earn money uh, when she was three years old and it didn't really stick. Like she didn't at all understand the value of money. Like she would she would earn the money and then she knew it was money. So she would stash it places and she would kind of forget where <laughs> where money was. And so we'd find this money's kind of scattered around the house like a little pack rat. She's like a hoarder. Yeah, yeah. She knew that it was valuable, but she didn't quite understand what it was for. And so maybe that's more on us as parents to kind of connect those dots and maybe show up at the store to show that, hey, if this is something that you want, this is something that you can buy with, with your own money. And honestly, what I think might help now is the fact that our oldest daughters can read. Because we had a, a chore chart before and we would have the jobs written out, but we'd have to tell them what they had to do. But now she might be able to look at that and read and you know, it's, it'll say bed and she might know that, okay, I have to go make my bed now, right? So yeah, we're certainly at the very early stages of teaching our kids about money, but these are the principles that we've identified to be important to us that we are teaching our kids. Yeah, and studies have shown, Matt, that you should really start as young as potentially three. And obviously like hardcore lectures aren't going to get the job done, but starting young is really important. So we're trying to do that. And so if you have kids of almost any age, it's important to, to find out where they're at and give them money coaching you know, where they're at specifically in life. So let's move on to our second principle that we want to cover, which is that giving, right, is just as important as saving and spending. If you're so focused on earning money and feeling like that every time you do something good, you perform, you do what you're supposed to do, you then receive that money. I think that sort of mindset, if that gets too ingrained into a child, that can lead to a lack of compassion, right? And that's where generosity and an open hand to where you're not so attached to your money can sort of create that balance. I want to have kids who have compassion, right? And who have that sort of generous heart so that when they're in a situation where they see somebody in need or somebody that might be less fortunate, they're not immediately thinking, oh, why aren't you working harder? No doubt, Matt. And I feel like uh, a lot of families will do this differently, right? Will teach their kids about generosity uh, and giving a, a little bit differently, and that's okay. And I think one thing is important. It's hard for a kid to visualize the impact of their dollars being given away if it goes into a jar and you write a check based on that amount. So I would recommend to, to folks to go serve with your kids at the same time. So maybe your check is going to one charity and you serve at another with your kids, however it works, where you can help your kids connect the dots uh, in a meaningful way that their money is going to actually physically help other people. Maybe it's serving at a soup kitchen or playing bingo at a retirement home nearby where you live. But look, kids, the money that you earned and then the portion that you donated actually went to serve donuts and coffee for our friends at this, at this retirement home or to provide the food that we're serving at this soup kitchen. There are just ways to help connect the dots. And oftentimes you need a tangible experience in order to kind of drive that point home. 
And we have a whole episode on giving that we did uh, a while back. And especially if you're looking to find a good charity that uses your money well, we talk about websites to use in that episode that will help you find uh, charities that are doing really good work. And you, and you can find charities that use most of their money to go to the actual people in need and not just to service overhead of a bulky nonprofit. Another thing that we prioritize when teaching our kids about money is to distinguish between the work they need to do in order to get paid and then work that they need to do around the house just because they're part of the family. And so right now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of erring on the side of paying my kids for work just to kind of teach them the concept. And there aren't really that many tasks that they can perform at ages three and five. Before I mow the lawn, my five-year-old can go pick up sticks in the backyard to make sure that I don't mow over them, right? And she can obviously pick up her room, make her bed, and she's learning how to do more and more things, which is cool. But right now I'm erring on the side of paying her. But the older and older she gets, the more responsibilities that she's going to have in our house, just being part of the family. And she's not going to get paid for them. And so I think that's a line in the sand that you need to draw that's going to be different at different ages. But that's an important thing for me to teach my kids is that there are certain things they have to do just because they live in our house and because they are a part of this greater thing called a family unit. Dude, I love what you said about them getting older and then it changing because things do change. And something that may have started out as a task that they were paid for can then sort of graduate into something that they you know, no, you just got to do that now because you're old enough, right? And now you get paid for these other things. Exactly. Yeah, these more complicated or these more labor-intensive tasks. I think something else too that can differentiate uh, between those two tasks or what you call them. For some reason in my mind, I hear chores and I think of it's just something you do because you're part of the family, right? In my mind, you don't get paid for chores even though I did, <laughs> like as a kid, like that's just what my jobs were called as a kid. Like I did my chores and then because of that I was paid an allowance. I didn't get my allowance if I didn't do my chores. It's just the language that my parents used. But in my mind now, for whatever reason, chores to me are what you do as a family because you're part of the family and you're expected to do them. What we tried to do when Evie was three is we, we tried to call the tasks that she were to perform uh, where she would earn money. We tried to specifically call those jobs in order to mirror the, the real world, right? To, to mirror the market and, okay, are you, you know, did you do your job this morning? If so, then you get paid. Chores to us were the things that by default, now you're just part of the family, pick up your toys, right? Like that's just something that you have to do. And that all comes down to the individual family, right? A task or a chore for one family might be a paid for job in another family. It just depends on what you want to focus on as a parent. Yeah, I love that. Because then it makes it really simple to ask your kid at the end of the day, did you do your chores? And what jobs did you accomplish today? And yeah. so you can really divide that up in a meaningful way to kind of nail that home for the kids. Just creating that divide in terminology is so helpful, not just for the kids, but for how you talk to them about you know what they're actually doing. Man, you know, since it's been over a year since we've tried to get Evie on board with the, the whole get, doing your jobs and getting paid thing, this is kind of getting me pumped to uh, give it another go. Because we got that Dave Ramsey Jr. kit. And we've got the clear envelope system where what's cool about that is they're clear and you can put the money in there and they can see it. But uh, yeah, we haven't really done that in a minute. In a little bit, Matt, I think we're going to talk about you know the cash system versus using... There are some really cool apps out there now yeah. too to help families and kids figure out this money thing. And I just love that there are easy systems that help kids function in the real world when it comes to money. It's called FinTech. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Financial technology. But I remember back in the days when we didn't have fintech, Matt, and we just had cash, right? Just a plain old cash. Cash money. Yeah. And one thing that my parents did that I really respect and I want to use too when it comes to how my kids spend money is giving a cap 
of an amount that I'll spend for my kids on certain things that are needs even. Uh, because I remember distinctly when I was a kid, I wanted the cool sneakers. I wanted the Scottie Pippen shoes <laughs> or whatever it was. And they were so expensive. You and get those Jordans? <laughs> I don't think I ever had a pair of Jordans, but I did have one pair of Scotty Pippins. Right. And I didn't have Jordans. And they were pretty sick. I wasn't a sneakerhead, so one like you, one a baller. <laughs> you know what I was into actually? I just I was into sunglasses. Oh, you were, huh? <laughs> you remember back in the day how big Oakleys were? Like Oakleys were such a big deal. Completely. And so like you, my parents would cover just basic clothing, right? Like they're going to pay for my clothes. There's a little bit gray though. Like they didn't set a hard cap. And so I could kind of negotiate. I could say, hey, I, you know, I really want these over here. I, you know, this is what I would like. But sunglasses, I'm a kid. I don't need sunglasses. And that was something that I had to work for myself. And my parents were not going to put any of their money towards my Oakley. I think they're called eye wraps, but they're just like this. I don't know how to describe them, but they would like stick to your face real real tight. That's why you got to find the Folklies, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so into sunglasses, specifically Oakley's. I was such a sucker. You want to look like that cool summer lifeguard, dude. That's totally true. Well, one of my friends was a lifeguard and we would go and, and hang out with him at his pool. And he had a pair of those white, I think he had white Oakley eye wraps back in the day, dude. Those were so freaking awesome. Yeah. But I distinctly remember my parents would set a, a cap on my shoes of $50. And so every that's a good point yeah so every year before before school would start they would and and, and actually honestly nice. now i look back and i'm like that was a lot i mean right now i mean i can get a sweet pair of chucks on sale for like 28 bucks so 50 <laughs> bucks seems like a lot but yeah they were really cool to have that cap and anything over that that i wanted to spend was money that i had to save up from birthdays or christmas and working for money on the side so i was incentivized to go mow a lawn or or to find some work if i really wanted the shoes that bad and occasionally I did, and I got that one pair of Scotty Pippins. And other times I settled for a cheaper pair of sneakers because I didn't have the funds. So I just had to roll with some lamer shoes. Plus, even if you did have the money, you would have had to decide what is the value of this money? Is it worth these fancy shoes? And maybe it wouldn't have been. And so after the break, we're going to cover some specific tactics to keep in mind as you're trying to raise financially responsible children. And we're going to cover one more principle as well that is quite lofty. So we're going to get to that right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, 
if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, before we get to the tactical ways to help our kids learn these money lessons, let's talk about one final principle, which is that we really want our kids to learn about the glorious thing that is passive income. And so we want to incentivize our kids by adding to the funds that they're willing to leave in savings. We want to essentially be a bank that pays generous interest amounts so that our kids are willing to leave money in their savings accounts. And then as they get older, we want to potentially even incentivize them to put money into a retirement fund. And so if our kids get a job when they're 15, 16, 17, and they want to put aside money for their retirement after lots of discussions about that, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm really excited about the fact that I can boost their ability to grow their wealth by matching their retirement fund contributions. That's, That's something that sounds awesome to me. Yeah, well, specifically, man, I've heard of the 401k parent match, not necessarily even to retirement, but even if a kid's saving, say, for a car to match every dollar that the kid puts toward the vehicle, you will match that. And so essentially, if they set aside, say, $1,500, well, now they can afford something that's three grand. And obviously, in this case, right, the idea is to drive home the principle of, hey, if there's a 401k with a match, you take it, right? When you get that job out of school, and they have an employer match 401k where they're putting, oh, 4% or 6% of your salary towards retirement, and they're going to match that, like you take that match, that's free money. 
it's just a way to teach that principle. And obviously it's a little bit different, right? When, when you're looking at a vehicle versus retirement, but I love the idea of sort of creating a game and finding a way to make it fun. And it's something that I think can be way more relatable when it's something that the kids care about here and now. Yeah, really what you're doing is you're incentivizing long-term thinking. And that's a really hard concept for a teenager to grasp. And so you're going to have to do a lot of talking about that, but really showing them through action, whether it's matching a car purchase or matching contributions to something like a Roth IRA. Obviously, they'll thank you later because that's going to be huge when they're in their 30s and they look at their statement and they're like, holy mackerel, that's insane how much that's grown. Mom and dad didn't tell me it was going to be this good. But creating that long-term mindset in your kids, even if you don't see it taking root, they're learning something while you're doing that. And so really uh, teaching passive income, although it's really hard, should definitely be a priority. Well, yeah. I mean, not only to teenagers, but even to adults to have that long-term mental thought process. One of our recent Money Pro episodes, we had Grant on where he talked about how time does not equal money. And his whole talk was about disrupting that linear path of working and therefore you earn money which sounds a little contradictory to our very first statement, right? Where, okay, the way you get money is by working. And so that's why, this, that's why this is such like an advanced principle. This is a really sort of lofty goal that we're trying to, to teach kids. And that's why it's so important to start when they are kids, because even as adults, we have a hard time wrapping our head around the idea, okay, well, how am I going to make money if I'm not actually working? Well, go back and listen to that episode with uh, Grant Sabatier. Like we talked about how you have to focus on investing. You have to focus on entrepreneurship, right? If you are able to create a business that is making money for you, where you're brokering other people's time and they're contributing and they're earning money, but at the same time, they're earning you money. These are the ways that you need to start thinking about work, not just in, okay, I will work, I will punch the clock, and then I will receive a paycheck. That's how most of us think about money. That's how I think about money a lot of the time, but over the course of the years, we're working towards more of that passive income, but you gotta start thinking about that now. All right, Matt, let's talk about some of our favorite tactics to help our kids learn uh, these money lessons. And one big question that comes up for folks right now is, do we do a cash method or do we teach our kids through kind of these advanced FinTech apps? And I think honestly, it, it probably depends on the stage that your kid is in. Cash can be so much more tangible, especially if you've got youngsters, uh, but certain apps will, as our kids get older, be more helpful with certain aspects of how they handle finances. And so I think I mentioned uh, a while ago that when my daughter lost her teeth, you know, giving her coins actually meant a lot more to her than having a dollar bill. There's something about just having four it's quarters. tangible, right? Yeah. yeah. Clink them around in your hand. <laughs> yeah. And so, so seeing that that meant something to her and paying her through that method, well, that was the most effective way to do it. But as your kids get a little bit older and you also want them to learn how to handle plastic because that's a part of our everyday world now. And you want your kid to leave your house, not just knowing how to balance a checkbook, because checks are going away, folks. Like th That's not going to be an important skill at some point. So you want them to know how to handle a plastic card in their wallet. And there are apps that can help them do that. There's one that I like called Greenlight, and it costs $5 a month, which might sound expensive, but honestly, it's a small drop in the bucket uh, if you're thinking about helping your kids handle their finances well. And there's another one that's similar called FamZoo. And so I'd encourage you to look at either one of those. If you have older kids and you really want them to learn how to handle plastic well, well, it's kind of like learning how to ride a bike with the training wheels because you're in control. 
And you can also incentivize them to save more of their money by offering a higher interest rate like we talked about earlier. And I, I love that, that you can do it digitally because your kids, if they've got a smartphone and they're rolling with apps and they want a, a credit card or a debit card, I mean, something like Greenlight or Famzu is, is the perfect option, I think, for, for older kids, especially as you're seeking to teach them how to handle their money well as they go out on their own at some point. Another sort of broad tactic that we can keep in mind is to model the behavior that we want our kids to learn. I was listening to an interview with JL Collins, who's just this brilliant sort of mastermind investor. And he was talking about how he regretted that he lectured too much. He's got a daughter and he felt that he was just harping on money and hitting those sort of hard money lessons way too young, way too often with his daughter which hit a little close to home, <laughs> considering that's what I feel like that, you know, we've already done with our oldest daughter. And, you know, what he realized was that, man, I was just lecturing way too much. And instead, what it turns out that she needed to see was she needed to see it lived out. And he was actually able to see now, like 25 years later, that his daughter was able to learn that from his wife. Like his wife was super frugal and led by example. And his daughter was able to learn that uh, from her. And so in, in that case, it wasn't about you know, the lecture, the big talk, and this is the lesson that I'm going to teach you. But in fact, it was more of the day-to-day. -day. Obviously, all kids are different, right? Like some kids will learn more readily from clear spoken word. Like here is a lesson that you're going to learn now. Hear me. <laughs> but for a lot of other kids, and I would probably even say most kids, they might learn much better from seeing it lived out in their parents' lives. Yeah, I think if we take the do as I say, not as I do approach, <laughs> it's not going to work out very well. And you know that too. Like if you go to work with a boss who kind of has that approach, they say, uh, do, do what I tell you to do, but they don't take the same prescription that they're doling out. You don't really want to follow in their footsteps and your kids will be the same. And so practicing some of these things in your own life will be readily apparent to your kids as they try to emulate you. And Matt, like as our kids try to emulate us, the way that we act in front of them is going to be crucial. And honestly, a huge part of this is also admitting our mistakes, being real in front of them and being able to have an open and honest conversation about the times where we didn't live up to our ideals. There's really something about a parent choosing to be vulnerable about their mistakes that really resonates with a kid and has long lasting impact. I mean, I still remember those conversations with my parents when they were up front about a mistake or something that hadn't gone the way they had planned. And just the fact that they would choose to confide in me as a kid was meaningful. And the same thing happens for us as parents. When we assume that our kids can handle that sort of information and we lovingly share it with them, there's something that connects in their mind in a way that lectures and even just modeling it perfectly just doesn't do. Kids are freaking awesome. And, and I mean, naturally, our kids, that they tend to act in the ways that we will act. And so if we're generous, they will tend to be generous as well. And like I mentioned earlier, I, like our kids don't always turn out like us exactly. They form their own lives, but their default is to act in a similar way as us, their parents. So make sure that you are living it out as well. And like we mentioned earlier, start early with your kids. Kids are so impressionable, especially from the ages of three to seven. And like Matt just mentioned, doing the lecture at age three, four, five, it's not going to work out so well. But making sure not to avoid talking about money in those years, because there are times where kids are forming their biggest opinions about so many things as they see us live and as they see us talk. And so making sure that those conversations and those little lessons are being started early, that's a huge tactic to employ to start your kids on the right money path. And then finally, make sure that you're talking about money often. Bringing up the subject kind of takes away from that taboo. We did an entire episode where we talked about you should be talking about money. 
You should be talking about your personal finances. And so maybe say when you're planning a trip, you can talk that through with them. You can talk about the expenses. The goal is to have healthy conversations surrounding money. A lot of us grew up in households where the only time money was talked about was because there were fights going on because money was tight or there were disagreements. You don't want the only time that money is ever discussed to be a stressful time. You have control over that. We have control over that as parents. And so that's why we talk about money. That's why we enjoy it. We think it's important, but we know especially that it's important for our kids to hear us talking about money in a healthy way and in a way that's encouraging uh, to each other and to our, our families. So let's make sure that we're all trying to do that in our lives regularly. Yeah, and I know that there's sometimes that there are difficult and sometimes heated discussions that need to happen about money. Yeah, sometimes there's just disagreements, right? Yeah. Like it's not a huge deal. But those discussions should really take place behind closed doors where your kids hopefully cannot hear you because those do leave a lasting impression. So trying to avoid those situations where they're mega influenced by arguments about money is a good idea. It's okay to hear parents disagree or have an alternative take. But a heated argument is, is something different and can create long-lasting negative connotations with money. You don't want that knockdown, drag-out fight, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So a dinner table discussion, great place for, for money. Or right. Emily, I want those sneakers now! <laughs> she refuses <laughs> to buy me those Jordans I want. It's really frustrating. Like only the Scotties for you, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, let's get back to the beer. We had Peanut Brother by Great Notion Brewing. I do love the name of this beer, Peanut Brother. <laughs> it's got like this sort of amish looking art block print on the on the can and the guys on the can have these super awesome long beards just like you find in portland and this is a beer from portland <laughs> so uh and the beer portland mixed with yeah pennsylvania like the amish country <laughs> <laughs> right right and a top hat too to boot right nicely done and matt the the word i used to describe this week's beer was reese's because this is a peanut butter chocolate stout <laughs> Well, my question for you is that you said this is a powerful beer. Why powerful? Did you have some event as a child where you thought, hmm, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, them candies is powerful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm not even a huge fan of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. What? I know. Right? Oh, what is wrong with you, dude? That is the best peanut butter. Uh, the peanut butter inside of a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup somehow is like this magical peanut butter. It's that's the best. I don't want to get into a fight right now, but I will. I will if we have to. Oh, dude, I'll take you down in an arm wrestling <laughs> match. You know that. But this beer, man, is so good. There's something really awesome about a peanut butter chocolate stout to me. I don't know. Maybe I need to eat some more Reese's. Maybe, maybe I'll feel differently about them now. But this beer was really good. Totally tasted like a Reese's, but for me, way better. Yeah, with it being a milk stout, it was a little creamier, a little smoother. It had that lactose. And my word was refreshing. And that's because it sort of felt like a refreshing glass of milk with a little bit of peanut butter going on in it. A lot of times, like, peanut butter stouts are exactly like they sound, thick and chunky. <laughs> like, there's not actual chunks of anything, right, in the beer, but they're pretty thick and heavy. This beer drank really light, really refreshing, sort of like a cold glass of milk, but maybe with a little bit of Reese's peanut butter cup on the side. I'm partial to a glass of milk, and that's probably why I like this beer way more than I like Reese's peanut butter cups. All right, Joel, it's time now for our final thoughts. All right, Matt. First final thought we have to share is that Emily and I are having a baby. Yeah. I didn't know if you're going to share it with folks, man. You're kind of waiting until the end a little bit. Yeah. I wasn't sure when to drop <laughs> the news, but uh, we're pregnant with baby number three. So yeah, we're really excited. We've gone in, seen the ultrasound. We got saw that heart beating super fast. And uh, yeah, that's awesome, man. Just excited, man. It's another kid to, to love on, to be a part of our family and also to teach about money, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Thanks, buddy. So we'll move on. Yeah, and the first principle that we want to teach the kids that we bring into this world, we want to <laughs> we want to teach them the value of money. 
it's tough out there for kids. Most kids don't learn how to handle their personal finances very well. We went over the fact that they're, they're, there just isn't much education to be had in the public school system. And so that's on us to teach our kids that they get money typically and almost always through working for it. And arguably just as important is giving. We want to teach our kids to have generous hearts and to be compassionate and to not focus on just earning and amassing just every single dollar that they can. Yeah, man, money and everything. So and also it's important to help our kids distinguish between doing work and getting paid for it and just the chores that they have to complete for being a part of the family. And the last principle that we focused on today is to teach our kids about passive income. This is going to be a little bit trickier, especially for younger kids. But as our kids get older, we're going to find ways to teach them the principles of compounding interest, of finding ways to make your money work for you and not just investing, but teaching our kids the ways of entrepreneurship. We want to incentivize that long-term thinking. And then you really want to model that behavior for your kids. It's so important for them to see you living out what you believe. That's more important than any lecture that you'll ever give is the way you live this out in front of them. But at the same time, you do have to have those conversations. And usually it's going to be small conversations here and there. They're going to be more interspersed into your daily life as opposed to sit down on the couch, long-term, long-form discussions. Teaching your kids about money isn't necessarily easy. We're not trying to make it sound like that but it is important. And hopefully you can implement some of these principles into your family's life to make sure your kids have just a little bit better of a grasp on personal finances before they leave the nest. That's right, man. Going back to the beginning of the show, we talked about how schools are starting to implement this, right? However, that's not guaranteed. And so much of this, they need to learn from us as parents. So now is the time to start. So man, that's going to be it for today. Thank you everyone for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. You can find us on the web at howtomoney.com. There we'll have our show notes up. And that's right. If you like this show, if you found it helpful, we'd greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get the word out about the show to other personal finance enthusiasts and other parents that want to help teach their kids how to handle money well. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button while you're there. That's right, Papa Joel. So until next time, best friends out. Best friends out, man. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.